welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Let's welcome Pete as he comes up to share. Very good. Thank you very, very much. I do appreciate that. Um, I don't let anyone call me pastor because I don't call you hairdresser Jane or Bob the Builder. Or um, It's just a role that I play and, uh, and it's a very privileged role that I play. And so I understand different churches want to use it as an honouring and respecting term, uh, past, but, but just honour me by calling me Peter and uh, doing what I ask you to do. That would be really great. Um, <laughs> Uh, I didn't realise that you were tithing to us. Um, I did find out just before Christmas uh, that somebody anonymously gave us $1.25 million. So maybe that was Echo Church. Uh, <laughs> one day. One day. One day, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I don't know who it is, uh, but I'm, I'm on the hunt to try and find out. There's only one person in our church who knows who gave us that. But it was to pay off our building, uh, which was a really nice thing. So we're now debt-free, which is really great. <laughs> Uh, I totally believe in that message about uh, tithing, uh, generous giving, you'll, you'll never go wrong. Uh, so anyway, that's not why I'm here this morning. Um, I was out praying this morning. Uh, I've been moving house the last two days, so I'm really tired and I'm very sore. I'm 65 and I shouldn't ever move house again. Um, but uh, so um, prepared this message earlier in the week before we started to move. And then I met the female part of God this morning because he's changed his mind about what I should say. Um, and uh, um, so hopefully I can stitch it all together with the new bits that have been added in and having to take some old bits out. Otherwise, I'll be here for far too long. Uh, so let me just pray. Jesus, please help me. Amen. Um, on the 6th of January in 1979, I uh, married Lynn, and Lynn married me, and uh, it was a 42-degree day in a country town in uh, New South Wales called Cowra, and uh, I had a couple of whiskies before I got married at 11 o'clock in the morning, um, and I put on two different socks so that that looked a little bit odd, and I uh, had to change them just before I got married with my brother Greg. Um, so in 1979, I still had two years of university left to go and Lynn had one year of university left to go. Um, back in those days, you just did silly, stupid things like that uh, rather than making sure you had enough money to pay all the bills. And so in 1979, I was studying social work at Sydney University and uh, I was getting to know some of the people because I just recently moved there from Macquarie University. And I met a guy called Mark Kelsey. Mark, in this story, is the sent one who shared his faith with me. And so the first time I met Mark was in a class, and it was before the class started, and I overheard him talking to some people about angels and tithing and all sorts of other stuff that I thought was weird and uh, irrelevant at the time because I was a Marxist student politician who thought that religion was an opiate for the masses and Christians were a waste of space. Um, in that year, also, uh, Lynn's... Um, sister and her brother-in-law, my brother-in-law as well, Tim and Karen, who are now a vital part of our church, um, they were also Christians and they were the praying sent ones in our lives. And then later that year, I met a guy called Peter Madden and Peter is the intellectual sent one to me because I have a brain in my head that's very quick and very fast. It's a friend and an enemy all at the same time. Um, I've got to learn how to switch it off when I'm dealing with the things of the spirit, but I need to switch it on when I'm using my leadership gift at different times. 
And so Peter was really important in my life because he was raised within the Catholic tradition as I was. I was going to be a priest when I was eight years old. Um, but the problem was I discovered my hormones when I became a teenager and having hormones and being a priest technically don't work together, although there have been a few mess-ups with that, as we've heard about recently. And so I started to live a normal Australian young adolescent life and pursued girls and pursued alcohol and played sport. Um, and so I met Peter and Peter was able to hold conversations with me about the Bible if I was interested in having those conversations. So that was in 1979. Come into 1980, I'm invited to be an honours student in the social work department at Sydney University and I decided to write my thesis on the labelling theory of child abuse. And uh, so what that did was it took me to a place called Montrose where the worst cases of child abuse in New South Wales, the whole family came and lived in a residential facility for two years and there was a multidisciplinary team of people who'd made an assessment as to whether the child or children would be able to go back into the family safely or whether we'd have to remove them for a period of time. And, uh, and so... Um, Ironically, uh, Mark Kelsey was placed there as well. And so Mark and I did our placements there and we graduated and the following year, because we'd done our placements there, they employed both of us. And so Mark and I, we liked one another, but he was still that weird Christian um, who I had to move the Bible off his desk to get to the case notes that I needed. And, uh, and Mark tried to witness to me and that wasn't particularly successful at the time. Um, because I was just very aggressive back towards him. I remember he and I both, when we tell this story, recount a drive where uh, he took me home. So it was in Burwood in Sydney. This won't mean anything to any of you, but it does to me. Uh, and we drove to Redfern where I was living and then he drove onto the northern beaches where he lived. And we had a conversation and I nearly convinced him to become a Marxist. Um, he, he, he says that I, I made so much sense that he nearly walked away from his Christian faith. Unfortunately, I was doing that at Sydney University on a reasonably regular basis. I'd sit on the lawns of Sydney University knowing that Christians, particularly the Scripture Union uh, mob, um, I was like honey to bees. Uh, if you were sitting on your own, they'd come and want to sit down and talk to you and be friendly and then talk about their love for Jesus. And so I used to relish that because I used to argue with them. And I still know all the intellectual reasons why I should not be a Christian. I still know all the intellectual reasons why I shouldn't be a person of faith however I am. Um, and so through 1980, when Mark and I were both working uh, at Montrose as social workers, uh, I made a really dumb decision and had an affair. And, uh, and eventually uh, Lynn became aware of it and we moved to Canberra to try and get away from it, but that didn't work and I ended up leaving Lynn on January the 6th, which was our wedding anniversary three years later. Um, and at the time, I thought that I was leading my life into a place that was going to bring great blessing to me. But in fact, it was just a pretty miserable time. So uh, my brother, Greg, who's a dentist, um, has had problems with uh, addiction all of his life. Um, he was addicted to drugs at the time, even though he was studying dentistry. And um, he grew his own marijuana in Adelaide. Uh, where he was studying dentistry. And so I went across to Adelaide to watch the West Indies play Australia in the cricket 
um, and Greg lived close to the Adelaide cricket ground and so uh, I was going to walk backwards and forwards. When the first night that we got there he found his marijuana plants dead and so he harvested the marijuana off it and asked if I'd like to have some. I'd never had drugs up until this point. I drank too much alcohol but I could control the intake of alcohol. I, uh, I didn't like the idea that I'd lose control if I took drugs. But I was feeling so miserable that I decided, well, what the heck. And so um, he gave me some uh, to smoke. And I went somewhere that scared the living daylights out of me because I suddenly could see what I think now happens in hindsight is that the Lord used that. Now, I'm not saying smoke marijuana to get saved. Please don't join those dots. <laughs> it worked for me, but it may not work for others. <laughs> And so I went on this trip and now what I know is that I saw all the demons that were troubling me and harassing me I, and I got scared witless about the, the ferocity and the anger and the darkness that was in there. And so I actually started to journal the next day as I uh, came but walked back from the cricket and made sort of it. And I actually wrote in my journal, I wonder whether there's a God. Mark, um, the lady that I had an affair with, uh, Mark and his wife Bernadette had taken her in to their home um, and were witnessing to her. And she rang me up in this state, in this position, and said, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. And so I deliberately flew to Sydney to stop her going to church on Sunday um, because I didn't want to have anything to do with it, even though I was beginning to think that there was a God. And so, uh, so anyway, long story short, we ended up going to church. We went to uh, what was then known as Christian Centre Northside, which was Phil, Pr Phil Pringle's church, for those of you who know Phil and Christine. Uh, went to the uh, morning service and I thought I'd walked onto the set of a Blues Brothers movie. Um, this good Catholic boy had never been in a Pentecostal church before. What you've got to remember is that Mark had planted seeds in my heart uh, in 1981 when we were working together. Uh, Tim and Karen were praying for Lynn and me now because we were separated and I was destroying my life. And Peter and his wife Sue, the intellectual sent one in my world, was also, they were also praying. And so, so God has put these people around my life so that now I'm in church. And I'm in the morning service thinking, what on earth is this all about? It's only about 100, 120 people uh, in the room. And, uh, and there was no altar call that morning, which apparently was an unusual thing for Phil. And so talked in the afternoon, walking on the beach uh, with the lady that I'd left Lynn for. And, uh, and we decided to go back to church that night. So I sat through another Blues Brothers movie. And, um, and in that Blues Brothers movie, Phil was praying for people. And he was either touching a nerve on the back of their neck or he'd paid them to fall over. But they were all falling over on the ground, you know, when he, when he prayed for them. And I'm watching this with my head, um, but something's going on here in my heart, in my spirit. Get to the end of the meeting, who would like to give your life to Jesus? And so my left hand went up. I still vividly remember this. And my head looked at it and said, this is a religion. It's an open fear masses and pulled it down. And then this hand went up. <laughs> if you raise your hand, come out the front. I'm saying in my head, I'm not going to walk out the front as my feet carried me out the front. Got out of the front, there was about seven of us that night. So Phil's standing there uh, getting ready to pray for us and I thought, centre of gravity, I'll spread my feet apart so he can't push me over. Um, and uh, So I prayed something. I, I don't know. I honestly can't remember what I prayed. It must have been God forgive me for my sins. So it was something of that nature. And so Phil probably didn't get any closer than Lee to me and I could not stand up and I fell flat on my back and I did this for an hour. I cried. You see, the thing is that I met the Saviour 
I met the one who changes a human being's life. The one who died for us and shed his blood for us. And so because I have been forgiven much, I love much. I'm able to look at my pre-Christian life and go, that was not very helpful to too many people. I was arrogant. I was too intellectual. I would fight um, people in all sorts of, not physically, but verbally. And the reason why I'm now standing here today is because of Mark Kelsey and because of Tim and Karen and because of Peter and Sue, because they were the sent ones to my life who looked beyond the aggression, who looked beyond the unwillingness to listen and said, there's a God who's bigger than this stupid Peter McHugh. There's a God who can reach past the defences of any human being and reach into their heart and change them. And so I am eternally grateful to those people. There may have been others as well, but they're the ones that I know. And so I wrote to Lynn. Uh, she was in England, so, so she'd moved to England. Uh, she was a school teacher. She had taken leave and gone to England to live with her elder sister and brother. I wrote to Lynn telling her this marvellous thing that had happened to me. She wrote back using language I'm not allowed to use in church anymore. Um, and it was very colourful and basically said, I don't want anything to do with you, leave me alone. So I wrote again and said, no, 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 you don't understand. And she wrote back and the language got even more colourful. And so, so I knew that she would go and stay with Karen and Tim when they came back, when she came back, because she'd want to resettle in Sydney. And so I went out and spent some time with Karen and Tim and left Lynn and Amy Grant tape, as you did back in 1982, um, uh, to listen to. And, and Tim and Karen, uh, everybody was gobsmacked that I'd become a Christian. Uh, even my professors at university couldn't believe it that I'd become a Christian. Uh, they thought I'd you know, turn to the dark side um, be, because they were all sort of these Marxist people together. Anyway, Lynn came back to Karen and Tim. Karen said to her, you, you should get in touch with him. He's not the same. He's different. And so Lynn resisted that for a period of time. And then she did get in touch. I went out and saw her. And long story short, she could see the change in my life. She experienced the change in my life. And that day, because we'd all been praying for her while she'd been away, she asked that I led her in a, in a prayer of faith to accept Jesus into her heart. Um, Lynn wanted Jesus, but she didn't want me, uh, which I totally understood because I'd wrecked her life. And so we then spent about another six months courting and, uh, and re, re, trying to rebuild a relationship of some sort. And then the Lord spoke to Lynn about coming back and rebuilding our marriage. And so we've done that. It took us five years to rebuild it. Um, and now I do what I do. Um, but what I do is not because um, I get paid. Um, I don't do it because it feels good, because it feels like crap some of the time. And I just want to, I've wanted to resign three times uh, over the last 33 years because of the pain uh, that's been inflicted on me by other people's behaviour towards me. But I continue to do what I do because I love him. And I just think that he loves people profoundly and he wants us to be sent ones. He wants us to be people that are confident in who we are. It's easy to sing, I know who I am in Christ. That's really easy to do. But when sitting with someone who's hostile and aggressive and what are we reflecting back to them? 
Um, Mark eventually learned not to talk to me about the Lord because I would just fire up, um, you know, those demons that I saw that were around me. They were really good at feeding me all sorts of lines, you know, to, to fight. But Mark just remained gentle and kind. He stepped back after a while. But I watched he and Bernadette, his wife, and I could see that they had something that Len and I had. If it had to be Jesus, I wasn't prepared to accept it until my life got into a mess. And so just because people push back doesn't mean that we're not, that you're not having an influence. And just because people push back doesn't mean that when they push back, that's when we should be praying. That's when we get down on our knees and we pray and say, God, would you step into this person's life? You've all got a story like mine. You've all got sent ones in your life. And so, so it's, it's really a matter of, of passing it on. You know, it's, we, we just pass on the blessing and we, we remain confident about the fact that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that Jesus does change lives, that Jesus delivers people from all sorts of things that have got them in prison. And we have the privilege of being a part of that, whether we're a praying part of it, whether we're a witnessing part of it, whether we're just a friend who's able to meet them where they're at without even talking about God, because that's what Peter Madden was to me. He just met me where I was at. He didn't actually try and convince me. He just talked about his own life. The thing about a testimony is you can't argue with a testimony because it's a testimony. It's a story. It's you, you can't, I, I tell people my story and they can't argue with me. If I want to talk about the virgin birth, well, then we have a really good argument. But, but if, if we talk about my story, they, they can't say, well, that's wrong. I don't believe that. It's like, well, you can't say that because it's my reality and it's true for me. And so, so it's in this milieu that I want to uh, look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, I think from memory, or it might be 7, verse 9, Matthew chapter 9. Before I read it, it's one of the Beatitudes. And uh, one of the things that we need to understand about the Beatitudes when we are thinking about being sent ones is what do people see in us? What is it that if we can actually live our faith out on a day-by-day basis, what is it that they will see? What will they notice? Um, That doesn't mean that we don't use words. It doesn't mean that we, we step away from using words. But often, you know, I could see something in Mark and Bernadette that was a lot more attractive than the arguments that I was having with him. And, and so I believe in the, the sharing of faith, and, and Mark did do that. But more importantly, it was what I saw in them um, and that, that led to a whole bunch of opportunities in my world. And so, so the Beatitudes um, are actually embody a different reality to that of our secular culture. So all the Beatitudes actually reflect a different, they embody a different reality to that of our secular culture. They offer a whole new way of being human. And so when we read Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 shortly, we've got to understand that we've been invited into a whole new way of being human. We've been invited into a place that is contrary to the secular culture that we live in. We've actually been invited to not just be transformed, but to be changed. When I meet with the leaders this afternoon, I'm going to be talking a bit about this. Just about every Christian I know wants to be transformed, but very few of them want to change. Transformation comes with me believing the Word of God and acting on the Word of God. That means I have to change some things. I have to stop doing things in my way and I have to start doing it his way, which can be a process and a journey because it's, it's like I have to surrender something. But the Beatitudes offer a whole new way of being human that's different to the secular culture that we've been raised in. They offer a description of how the kingdom of God works. And they are a manifesto for kingdom living. And so with that in mind, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9 Um, when I can turn there, Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called sons of God. So in the Beatitudes, this is the only Beatitude that has the consequence that if you follow this Beatitude, you will be called a son of God. This is the only Beatitude where the consequence of the Beatitude is that people will see God in us. They will experience God in us. They will be called sons of God. Not just called sons of God by God, but called sons of God by people. And so there's a key in here for being sent, one, sent ones, which is the key that Mark found. Mark found that trying to talk to me only led to aggression, so he decided to become a peacemaker. He decided to become someone who, who shared his faith. That, you know, you've got a whole bunch of people that are going to be talking to you about sharing your faith and being sent ones, and, and we'll all bring different perspectives to it because there's so many lenses to look through. And so I'm not saying my lens is right, but, but it is the one that is, has been my experience. And so for Mark, Mark became a peacemaker. Karen and Tim became peacemakers. I used to, uh, they lived in the same house with Luna and myself and they would bring their friends over and I'd wreck their parties because I'd come in and want to argue with all the Christians that were there. Um, but they, they remained peacemakers with me. Uh, not peacekeepers, but peacemakers. There is a difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper, which we'll get to shortly. And so this is the only beatitude where the consequence of following this beatitude is that you become an image bearer. We begin, they shall be called sons of God. You will bear the image of God. We're all going to bear the image of something or someone. And so before I came to faith, I bore the image of Peter McHugh, the, the way that I had been raised, the image that I was wanting to project of myself. We all project images. Goths project, project an image by wearing black all the time. People who are, have gender dysphoria and, um, and are cross-dressing, they, they're expressing an image one way or another. We're all expressing an image here today. I remember the first time that Alan Meyer turned up at our church back in the early days. He wore a suit and tie and he wore in and it came in and saw everybody dressed like this. And so he went out and took his tie and his jacket off and came back in because he wanted his image to fit with where everybody else was. When I was first a young pastor, everybody wore those thin leather ties. Um, before, apparently before that, the pastor's suit was to wear a safari suit. Um, and, and thank God I wasn't born again in those days. But, but, we, but we all bear an image. We're all trying to project something to the world around us. And so what we're called to be is to be image bearers of Jesus, to be image bearers of God. And so in Romans uh, chapter 8, and verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn amongst many brethren. And so whether you know it or not, the Holy Spirit's work in you is to get you to be conformed to the image of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is going to ask you on a regular basis to exchange the image you have of yourself for the image of Jesus. And so he's going to ask you to actually consider the way that you think, you react, the way you respond, and actually ask the question, is this, am I bearing the image of Jesus at this point, or am I bearing my own image out of my own brokenness and trying to stay safe and comfortable in control? And so, so the Holy Spirit, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. It's your destiny to be conformed to the image of his Son so that he'd be the firstborn amongst many brethren. So heaven on earth is all based on the assumption that we actually do carry the image of Jesus in multiple facets and different ways. But one of them is the way that we actually love people and the way that we live for reconciliation because peacemakers are people of reconciliation. 
And so uh, just to finish this idea off in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, if we're bearing the image of Jesus, he is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And so if we're going to bear the image of Jesus, then we are going to be people who are peacemakers. And that's why here, blessed are the peacemakers. Whenever I say that, I have the, the faulty towers, uh, those guys, um, and the life of Brian, and blessed are the cheesemakers. So, but, um, but anyway, forget that, Peter. Don't go down that rabbit hole. Blessed are the peacemakers. What did he say? Blessed are the cheesemakers. No, no, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And so there's something about bearing the image of God as a peacemaker that means that you'll be called a son of God or a child of God. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in our lives, and that's because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So, so what, what is it to be a peacemaker? Well, we find that in many places, but I'm going to turn to Colossians chapter 1 um, and read from Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, I'll start in verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And so a peacemaker is somebody who reconciles relationships. And this is a really important message in our generation because through COVID, there has been more division in the church and in the world than I've ever seen in my short lifetime. The level of division is extraordinary because we've had all of these rules imposed upon us and some of us are rule keepers and some of us are rule breakers. And some of us begin to think that the rules have got some sort of hidden message behind them and we end up going into all sorts of places about conspiracy theories and others of us think that a conspiracy theory idea is just weird and wacky. And so we've got this whole milieu of difference of opinion around this pandemic called COVID-19, which has created all sorts of division in our relationships. So my next statement will cause some people to be horrified in the room and I might be about to lose you at this point, but I'd want you to think about whether you can be reconciled with me because I'm not vaccinated. I have my own reasons for not being vaccinated. I have no need to tell you what they are and I have no need to convince you that I'm right, but I have done a whole bunch of research and thinking and I've been prayerful about it and I've chosen to be unvaccinated. I don't promote that idea inside of my own church. It's caused a whole bunch of different people to sort of feel like, that's a bit weird, Peter. Um, but, but what we have when we have those differences of opinion is an opportunity to be reconciled with one another rather than to be divided. And so if we are going to be called sons of God, we're going to have to be peacemakers and peacemakers reconcile things. They reconcile relationships. They look for reconciliation because that's what Jesus did. He created peace through the shedding of his blood that we might be reconciled to him. And so if you're wanting to be a peacemaker, you need to be a person that's committed to reconciliation, to holding, making relationship more important than your point of view. I've got two true norths in my life around relationships. The first true north is that I'll never let money separate me from somebody else. If somebody else thinks I owe them more money than I think I owe them, I might have the conversation with them about my different point of view, but I'll always give them the money that they're asking for. 
because I just don't want my relationship with them to be broken by money. Money's just, money comes and money goes. And, and so I, I'm not so wedded to money that I'm going to let my love for money break a relationship. And so I'll never let money break a relationship. If somebody believes that I owe them some, more than I do, then they will end up getting it, even though I might resist that for a period of time in kindness and love. The second thing that I'll never let break a relationship is the difference of opinion. I'll never let it break a relationship. And so I've just made a decision because I want to be a peacemaker. I want to live in a countercultural way. I want to live in a whole new way of being human, which the Beatitudes invite us into. They invite us into a new way of thinking about the culture that we've been raised in and the way that the culture shapes and forms what we think is appropriate behaviour. And if I'm going to be conformed to the image of Jesus, then I'm going to be conformed into reconciliation because that's who he is. That's what happened for me on the second Sunday in February in 1982, just over 40 years ago. I got reconciled to God because of the work of the cross. And I became a follower of Jesus. And even though I know all the intellectual reasons that I used to use on the lawns of Sydney University, they make no sense to me anymore because I've met him. And I know him. And he knows me. And my life was totally and utterly transformed at that point and has continued to be transformed as I've put into practice the things that he asked me to practice. And so a peacemaker is somebody who actively seeks out reconciliation. And so I want you to make this personal this morning. I want you to think about somebody that you are not reconciled to this morning, somebody that you are in a relationship with that's got tension in it. Tension doesn't mean something's wrong, it just means something's happening. We've got to change the way we think about tension in relationships. It's not, that, it's not that something's wrong, it means that something's happening. What's happening? What's pushing your buttons? What's pushing their buttons? Why do you need to be right? Why do you have to be in control? What are you trying to prove? Why have you withdrawn? What, what's all of that about? What's going on in you? What, what brokenness in you is, that, is, is pushing you around? What is it about our culture that's got a hold of your thinking that you are able to justify hurting another person so that you feel safe? What is that? We all do it. Because we've all been raised in a culture that celebrates that and a culture that's celebrating it even more with social media. I hate social media because everybody thinks their opinion is equal. Listen, if I've got a brain problem, I'm going to go and see a brain surgeon. I'm not going to ask on social media, what's your opinion? And so if, if people have got brokenness in their heart and they're expressing that somewhere on social media, why am I going to try and give them some advice? Here's another piece of thought that will help you enormously. Never try and have a logical conversation with an emotional person. It doesn't work because when they're emotional, they're wanting to convince you that their emotion is right and valid and logic doesn't stand in the face of emotion. So you've just got to go, time out, I'll come back to it, give them a hug, kiss them on the cheek, have a great life, I'll see you next time we try and have this conversation. And so, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. They'll bear the image of God. And so to be a peacemaker means that you're actively committed to seeking reconciliation. We seek reconciliation by, by proclaiming God's word to reconcile the listener to God. Now, this is, this is a really important point. You can proclaim God's word through prosecution or you can proclaim it through discovery. So the person standing on the street corner in Flinders Street with a sign around it saying all sinners are going to hell, they're trying to prosecute a case. That's not a question of discovery. That's a, I'm right, you're wrong, you need to agree with me. 
And so, so we do need to bring the Word of God into different situations where there is tension, what's happening. There comes a point where the Word of God needs to turn up, not quoting it necessarily, but, but presenting it in a way that makes sense. But we present it in a way of discovery, not prosecution. So we ask questions, we don't make statements. And so if I'm working with somebody that's in trouble, I'm going to be asking them a whole bunch of questions. You can ask Lee that with you know, Justin and others that I talk with. I'm forever asking questions. And they just, they just, just tell me what to do. And I know I want you to discover what to do. Because that's how God works with me. He asks me a whole bunch of questions. Holy Spirit, you say, what's that all about, Peter? Where did that idea come from? How did you decide to treat the person that way? As soon as he starts asking me questions, I know I'm in trouble. Because I know he's going to win the conversation. But we, if you live in a world where you're trying to prosecute a case, reconciliation doesn't happen through prosecution. Reconciliation happens through discovery. Tension doesn't mean something's wrong. It means something's happening. And as soon as I think something's wrong, it means I'm the winner and you're the loser. And that we can't get reconciliation. When you define tension about right and wrong, you can't get reconciliation. It's got to be discovery. And so part of discovery is actually saying to somebody, when you do that, this is what happens to me. I own my feelings. I'm not blaming you for it, but I just need you to understand what, what gets provoked in me. Can we try and figure this out together? Rather than saying to the person, stop doing that because you've been an idiot because I'm hurting. And so, so we proclaim the word of God through discovery, not reconciliation. Jesus did this all the time. He told stories, parables. He, he's trying to get them to discover stuff and they're going, oh, flip, our head hurts, Jesus. Can you just say it to us in common language? Jesus, the only time he prosecuted a case was with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Otherwise it was discovery. Woman caught in adultery, thrown at his feet. Let he who has not sinned throw the first stone. He's, he's saying, discover something about yourself because you'll punish her. Before you prosecute her, discover something about yourself. Don't go looking for the log in, uh, the log in your brother's, the, the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own eye. It's, it's about discovery. And, and we've lost the art of discovery. We've lost the art of conversation. We've lost the art of asking questions. And so we prosecute cases. And if you're going to be a peacemaker, you will never, never, ever make peace by being wrong, right, and making somebody else wrong. And so we need to find ways of bringing discovery into our conversations and discovery into our pain and being able to be self-aware enough to own, I'm just losing it. I'm the one that's got the problem here. I'm not acting like Jesus. This is not creating peace in this situation. I'm, this is not leading to reconciliation. This is leading to prosecution. I need to step back from this because I want to be called a child of God because I want to be a sent one. I want people to see God in me. A peacemaker is somebody who moves towards conflict. They move towards tension. They move towards disagreement to create peace. We, we find this, Jesus says, look, when you come to communion, um, if you've got a problem with your brother, go and reconcile with them before you have communion. So move towards the answer. Don't move away from it. And so a peacemaker is somebody that moves towards disagreement, moves towards reconciliation, moves, to, sorry, moves towards tension, moves towards conflict. Peacemakers are ones who want to embrace it. They take the initiative to be involved in the process to build a bridge. And so that's why I want you to think about somebody that you're in tension with. What are you doing about building a bridge back towards them? 
Because if we're going to be sent ones, if we're going to be called sons of God, we have to embrace being peacemakers. And so we have to embrace being a reconciler. We have to embrace reconciliation as a lifestyle. We've got to walk away from the culture that we live in that wants to bring division. This is an entirely new way of being human. And it goes against everything that we've been taught and everything that our culture is standing for. I mean, we're all watching. We've already prayed for it today, but we're watching this whole thing emerge in Ukraine. Putin's right. Ukraine's wrong. I'm going to destroy the place. We see the same thing with China and Taiwan. Taiwan belongs to us. We're going to take it back. It's right across our culture. Demonic power is running riot with division. And we need to stand up and look different. We're the church of the living God. I celebrate worshipping with you this morning. It was a wonderful time of worship. We were saying some wonderful songs and people were yelling out their agreement with the songs. And I celebrate that. But true agreement comes in behaviour, not just verbal recognition. We're changed by what we do. We're not changed by what we say. And so, so there's just this, we just live in this wonderful time. It's just such a great time to be alive because I can show a whole new way of being human. I can actually step into this place of being a peacemaker so that I can be called a son of God. There's a difference between peacemakers and peacekeepers. Peacekeepers run from conflict. They don't run towards it. Peacekeepers run from conflict by using power, control and rules to suppress conflict. So peacekeepers are people who run from conflict. They don't want the conflict to be resolved. They just want to win. And so peacekeepers are people that will use their power or control to try and keep the conflict all all kept together or they'll make up rules to suppress the conflict. And so a peacekeeper is entirely different to a peacemaker. You know, there are some people who keep the peace, but they're trying to keep the peace using power, control and rules that suppress the conflict and all they're doing is driving it underground. A peacekeeper is trying to avoid the conflict. They're, they're, they're trying to put stuff around it to make it all nice, but the conflict's still there. The tension's still there. The disagreement is still there. If the conflict and the tension and the disagreement are still present, then a peacekeeper is not what we're called to be. We're called to be peacemakers. And so the the, the privilege and the joy and the wonder is that I can take what Jesus did for me. Through his blood, I have been reconciled. He made the step towards me. He gave his life for me. He didn't want to be right. He served me. He discovered an answer to the problem that occurred in the Garden of Eden where man got separated from God so that man could be separated, could be returned to relationship with God. And so we're the ones who make the first step. Jesus moved towards the tension. He moved towards the conflict. He moved towards the disagreement. He gave his life. He lived a life of discovery, not prosecution, except with the religious people. And so there are so many things in here that we can learn if we want to be called children of God, sons of God. But it lies in your hands. I can point you towards the truth here, but it's whether we're going to embrace it or not. The world is crying out to be for the light of the world to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth to be the salt of the earth. This is one of the ways that we're the light of the world. And so as, you, as I come to a close this morning, as I want to pray for you, pray with you. I want you to earth it 
I, I, again, I want you to think of somebody. Who are you in tension with? Who are you in conflict with? And are you prepared to be the peacemaker in that space? Are you prepared to ask God for wisdom? Now, I'm not, I'm not asking you to do anything straight away because some people might be in significant conflict with somebody and it might take years for that to be resolved. I'm not saying that this is an easy journey. I'm not saying it's a quick journey. But what it is, it's a journey of my heart where I make a determination. I'm going to be a peacemaker and a peacemaker reconciles things. And so to be a reconciler, I have to move towards the tension and the conflict because tension doesn't mean something's wrong. It means something's happening. And so God, help me to understand what's happening because in my understanding of what's happening, you'll give me wisdom to know how to make a bridge that we can actually cross it and connect with one another again. Did I say that slowly enough to it to make sense? Could we all stand together this morning? Thank you. So I want you to take the next 60 seconds to find that person. That person might just simply be somebody in your office, which you, you know, you're just trying to avoid. Or at the other end of the scale, it might be a family member who has sexually abused you and damaged you and you've got to really figure out how to get across that bridge and build that bridge and that'll take, that'll take years to get across. There's a whole range of conflict and disagreement and tension that you might be facing. So the most important thing to do right now is that you say, Lord, I want to be a peacemaker in that situation. And Lord, being a peacemaker in that situation means I am, I'm needing to discover how to move into reconciliation. So that's what I want to pray for you. So Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, as we think about this person that we're in conflict with, that we have tension with, that we have disagreement with, Lord, we want to be peacemakers in that situation. We want to be ones that carry the torch of reconciliation. And so I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you give wisdom to everybody that's making a decision that they want to be a peacemaker with a certain person. I'm asking, Lord, that you would give them a heart for reconciliation. I'm asking, Lord, that you would give them wisdom to know how to step into that place. I'm asking, Lord, that you would help them to live a place of discovery with you and with them to build a bridge. Lord, we're asking this because we want to honour your word. We want to embrace this whole new way of being human, which is so countercultural. But we want to do it because we want to be conformed to the image of Christ. We want to be image bearers. We want to bear your image, not our own image. And so I'm asking in Jesus' name for a work of the Spirit that would help us to step into this place. In Jesus' name, amen.